This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 13th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The cost-benefit analysis for a standard four-year college degree is something too few young people consider. Author Zach Slaback says it's more important than ever for young people to think seriously about not taking the path most traveled. What do we know about the value of a college degree over the last few decades? Well, one of the things that we know about the value of a college degree is that it is not a signal of human capital. This is something that Brian Kaplan has written extensively on, especially in his new book, uh, The Case Against Education, that when somebody has a college degree, that does not necessarily signal to employers that they know more than somebody who does not. Rather, it's a signal of other things, right? Uh, Some of those things are traits like conformity, the ability to uh, keep your head low and focus on something for four years, which employers do value. That is important to a lot of employers. Navigate a bureaucracy. Navigate a bureaucracy, absolutely. I mean, historically, if we actually want to look back at the history of higher education and K-12 through education, it was largely developed alongside and in addition to large government and corporate bureaucracies. So it is a tool largely for those. Uh, it's it's not really surprising that a lot of the Gilded Age universities in the United States tend to be named after people who built very large bureaucratic organizations. Carnegie Mellon's a really great example of that. Uh, but one of the things we also know is that the val- the power of that signal has been going down. Uh, the power of that signal has been going down while the cost of acquiring it has been going up. Uh, just for inflation, I think the only thing that has gone up faster than uh, tuition might be textbooks and uh, medical costs. Everything else generally tends to go down, uh, which puts employers and those pursuing the credentials in a really weird position. So the value of that signal is going down and more because more people are getting it, basic supply and demand, right? As more people acquire it and the value goes down, if you're an employer, seeing somebody who comes to you with a college degree on their resume doesn't really mean much to you anymore. Uh, it's, it's not unusual for you to hear people say like, oh, the college degree is the new high school diploma, right? Yes. This is really problematic because this puts both employers and job seekers in an awkward position. What else is supposed to signal their competence, their ability to conform where necessary to navigate the bureaucracy or to find whatever traits that the hiring manager or employer does believe that that degree signals? And what we've been seeing in the last couple of years, we, we've been seeing two trends emerge. Uh, the one is really easy to see formally, and the other one I first started to notice anecdotally while I was doing some work with employers, and I have noticed that it is popping up a lot more in uh, jobs where being able to signal your competence is something that you can do with a test, right? Uh, so the first trend is as the value of the credential of the college degree as a credential gets weaker and weaker as the signal gets weaker and weaker because more people have it one of the logical steps you can have is you can take the next step that we had right after the high school diploma which is require more credentials uh, i remember a couple years ago i was sent a job posting for an unpaid internship at a major new york corporation uh jetblue airways i think is what it was and this was like i said an unpaid summer internship it required you to be a masters degree student in order to get it. And they wouldn't even look at your 
application unless you had a master's degree. And that was that was really disconcerting. And But we are seeing more and more trends like that. It doesn't help that in addition to the general dilution of the signal, there's also this occupational licensure issue that's going on where a lot of states are passing regulations that require uh, people in jobs that formerly didn't require college degrees to have college degrees. One of the m- most recent examples I saw that's just absolutely patently absurd is uh, nannies, I believe, in the District of Columbia are required to have college degrees. Which for anybody who has to consume uh, child care as a product in Washington, D.C., that is maddening. Oh, it will drastically send your costs up, first of all. And secondly, it's it's like most occupational licensure. It's clearly just a barrier to keep competition out of the market. What you have is you have a bunch of people who they went and they got their English degrees and then they end up being nannies and they want to keep other people who don't have degrees out of the marketplace from competing with them. So... That's one trend. The other trend is finding alternative signals. Uh, This is a little more common in tech jobs where you'll find that companies will run certain exams or they'll run tests, they'll run opportunities. Hackathons are a good example of this where hundreds, if not thousands of people come together, they work on a project and the people who do really well on the project that's voted on based on tech experts who are there often get job offers, right? Often it starts with an internship offer. Having an internship at Facebook is itself a signal. Being able to acquire an internship at Google is itself a signal. Uh, A couple of years ago, I remember there was an Easter egg in the Uber app where you could uh, unlock a coding game. And if you beat the coding game, you had the opportunity to speak with an Uber recruiter. So that is one of the other directions that we're seeing things slowly move. But that's harder to do in pure knowledge work. That's that's easier to do in something that is really a white-collar trade like software engineering. What software engineering at the day is at the end of the day is essentially a trade. So the question becomes: what do we look for as a signal? in knowledge work. All right. So how do we get to these signals that indicate to an employer, send a trustworthy symbol or signal of value for young people who want to uh, thrive in a career? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. Like I said, one of the ways that you can do this is acquiring a job or an internship offer at a highly reputable firm. Uh, from the get-go, something like Facebook, Uber, Google. But then that just has the other question, how do you get that in the first place, right? Uh, The other way that I'm seeing more and more often is people do defer to uh, a trend that I saw while I was doing some work with employers a couple of years ago where that job required me to go in and look at job postings on employers' websites and try to see, okay, do I know young talent that can go into these job these job positions that are hosted by this company. And I remember specifically, I was visiting a business in Phoenix, Arizona, where there was an an account executive position at this business. Again, this is very clearly a knowledge worker kind of job, right? One that traditionally you would look for a blunt heuristic like the college degree as a good signal as whether or not somebody is going to actually work on this well. And there was a little line in the job posting, which was a four-year degree in marketing, advertising, or business administration, or equivalent work experience required. So, uh, you know, it, you know, if you put this in, per, in the perspective of an employer, uh, it's so much easier to say, 
well, I'm going to use the blunt sorting mechanism, which is the, the bachelor's degree or the master's degree to say, to just cut out a bunch of the riffraff, so to speak. Why would you argue to that uh, employer? That's a mistake. Finding good talent is really hard. Yes, cutting out riffraff is absolutely something you should be looking for. You can develop other tools in your recruiting process that help you do that. Uh, you know, testimonials are something that businesses for years have used as signals of their competence at what they are able to do. If you run a service business or you run a business that is largely based on you as a person and you don't have testimonials or case studies available for your, your prospective clients, you're just doing yourself a disservice. It's one of the you know basic business 101 things that you can do. Uh, somebody going out into the job market can do something very similar, right? You can get referrals and references, of course, but you can also put together case studies of work that you were able to do before and how you were able to do that competently. And if you are in a such position socioeconomically where you can work for free, and I think a lot more people are than give themselves credit, that is your ability to develop those case studies. Now, again, from the employer's perspective, absolutely, I understand you want to cut out the riffraff. It is a CYA tool for a lot of recruiters. Uh, for a lot of hiring managers as well. These are the people who they don't they don't directly have their skin in the game. They don't directly face the downside of not being able to hire fantastic talent, but it's really, really hard to hire good talent. Uh, and when the average student who has college debt comes out of college nowadays with something like $35,000 in debt, you're clearly going to be cutting yourself off from a large part of that marketplace, especially if there's, there's another insidious effect here from the purely the cost of the credential and more people being required to go pursue it, if you are a business that cannot pay a competitive wage for whatever reason from relative to the institution out of which you are recruiting, you're going to have a much, much harder time doing recruiting. There's a reason why organizations that recruit out of the Ivy Leagues start with like $80,000, $90,000 a year salaries. And one of the reasons is so that they can just scoop people up and then they fire them after a year or two if they're the people who are the riffraff. Right. But that's that too is an extremely costly endeavor. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, if you're a young person who wants to get that signal and get those skills, it's never been easier to acquire skills. Yeah. It's never been cheaper to become skilled at something. Um, should they just hunker down with their laptop in the dining room and just get to work? I mean – they have to know what to work on first. Right. That's, that's the right. big. That's the big question mark. So, if, you know, I, let's. You're talking to, let's say, a 17 year old, somebody who's th who's in high school and doesn't have a plan and is strongly considering going with mom and dad's plan, which is go to college and figure it out. You know, what do you what do you tell them? What do you tell them? Yeah, the first thing I tell them is find someone who is skilled in something that you are interested in. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I think one of the most toxic pieces of advice out there to young people today is follow your passion because then people get really caught up and they get stuck in their heads and they're like, oh, well, what's my passion? I don't know. Am I truly passionate about software development? You, you don't know. You're 17, right? Like what your interests are at 17 are going to be totally different than what they are 24, 31, whatever. Find something that you are interested in that can allow you to develop a, an in-demand skill set. That's what I tell people. Uh, find somebody who knows that and approach them. There's this magical, fantastic, wonderful tool out there called the email address that 
almost everybody in the developed world has. So you have no excuse for not at least being able to reach out to a number of people who have these skills and tell them honestly, hey, I'm a young person interested in developing these skills, interested in learning a little bit more about this space. I've done some perfunctory uh, research or some perfunctory skill development in this space. I'd like to do a specific project for you. Is that something I can do, right? And you can develop what that specific project looks like based on who you're approaching, what their competitors are doing. Uh, one of the things I tell young people who are really interested in marketing, for example, is a lot of businesses don't have what's called a lead magnet, uh, just a simple PDF gift that can be downloaded on the website in exchange for an email address. A lot of businesses don't have this. So you have people popping onto their website, clicking around, and there might be a call to action to purchase the product. Well, that's a pretty big ask unless it's like a $1 product. A much smaller ask is, give me your email address. I'm going to give you something interesting about this specific space. Well, it's not hard to write something up for that. Send it to the owner, send it to the head of marketing of that business and tell them, I'd love to be able to work on stuff like this with you. Uh, if that's not an opportunity, I totally understand. But if it is, uh, here are a couple times I'd like to talk and let me know. This is something that is ridiculously easy to do nowadays. But I think one of the things that, that makes it really difficult for young people too is we isolate them for 18 years totally removed from the marketplace. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why if you ask even a 17-year-old, you know, what do you want to be after you graduate from college? It's almost always a very – if they have an answer, it's almost always a very visible job, right? Like one that you see walking around your town or in the school or in media. On, yeah, on TV. Yeah. It, it's not like being a, a marketing uh, manager at, you know, a software as a service company. Like <laughs> you just don't – you don't see that stuff. But that's a great job and a lot of people have it. Or being an account executive somewhere, or uh, being a freelancer of some kind. Zach Slayback is author of The End of School, Reclaiming Education from the Classroom. We spoke this weekend at FeeCon in Atlanta. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 